<clears throat> well, it is good to be here uh, tonight, Keith Harmon, Jackie Harmon, and uh, as Pastor James said, uh, we both grew up together in Northwest Arkansas. We actually went to the same high school, uh, surrendered to ministry in the same church, served in that church to, together for a while, went to college together uh, for a little while at the University of Arkansas. Uh, that's nothing to brag about, but that is where we started our college careers at. Uh, I finished mine there. Is that where you finished as well? You finished there as well. And, uh, and then the Lord had us on two very different ministry journeys. I was a youth pastor for 21 years uh, until four and a half years ago. Um, I turned 40 is what happened. <laughs> I turned 40 and went to my senior pastor. And I don't think it was because I turned 40, but it really was when I turned 40 on December the 7th. And uh, shortly after that, I was at lunch with him and, and he kind of asked, what do you think is next for you? What's God doing in your heart? Because when we went back to our home church, that's where we serve now is the church that we grew up in. And um, I told him that I thought I had about five years of youth ministry left in me. And uh, that was the five-year mark. So God had already kind of started to show him that I was going to be doing something different. So at that lunch that day, uh, Jackie and I were able to share with him that the Lord had already begun to stir in our hearts something different in the area of marriage and family. And he said, well, what, what does that look like? And I said, well, you know, I've been, the, I've been a youth pastor for 21 years. I've been a youth pastor here for the last five. And um, the last year has been really odd. And he said, why would you say it's been really odd? And I said, because we've, we've done more pre-marriage counseling uh, than ever before in our lives. And it really doesn't make sense. I mean, these are couples we're not connected to. They're, they're not youth workers. They're not kids that grew up in the student ministry. These are just random people in the church who are having us do that. Uh, we're mentoring and discipling young married couples. And we just think that God's doing something with that. And, and he said, well, I love it. Uh, let's pray about it and see what God does. And uh, after several months of praying, we transitioned to marriage and family. And it's been uh, now this summer, uh, well, I guess this next December will be five years officially of doing that. And we absolutely love it. We absolutely love it. And um, we met in first grade. So I, I'll tell you the story of how we met. And then Jackie will jump in and correct all the things that I say wrong. Uh, but I think the context matters because a lot of what we share tonight uh, will come from, from this story. So in first grade, I'm playing in my neighbor's front yard and uh, I pick a brick up and I'm looking at the brick and uh, the brick is looking back at me. And I'm thinking, what should I do with this brick? I think I'll throw it up in the air. So I take this brick and I throw it as high up in the air as I can and I watch the brick. And I watch the brick and it's getting close to me so I just do this. And it comes down right on top of my head so I'm screaming, bleeding, run back into my house. My dad grabs me, throws me in his truck, takes me to the emergency room where I get uh, my first set of stitches. They wrap my head in white bandage. My dad felt sorry for me so he takes me to A&W Root Beer. Y'all ever been to an A&W Root Beer? Not many of those around anymore. Uh, but back then there was and so my dad took me to A&W Root Beer to cheer me up. And uh, some of this story I now know, I, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but when my dad and I walked through the front door of A&W Root Beer, there's a really cute blonde-haired little girl standing in there with her dad and her sister, and she says, hey, I wonder what happened to that kid. And her dad said, I don't know, but I know his dad, so I'm going to go find out. So Joe Zuppo walks across A&W Root Beer, walks over to Doug Harmon, my dad, and says, what happened to your boy? And he said, well, he threw a brick up in the air and watched it come down on his head. Joe Zuppo says, hmm, goes back across the restaurant, sits back down in their booth, and he says, that kid threw a brick up in the air and watched it come down on his head. And her and her sister both said, what an idiot. Uh, and they both, for, for, I know this now, they said for years they would be like, remember that kid that threw that brick up in the air? That we, every time they went to A&W Root Beer, they were reminded of that. Uh, but in fifth grade, uh, the love was reunited. Uh, in fifth grade, um, she would go to her friend's house after school and play, and I would go to my friend's house, and these two friends happened to live on the same street. So me and my friend thought it'd be a good idea to go down there and play basketball with the cute girls uh, in the front yard, and so we'd go down there and flirt with them every day, and they'd be like, get out of here, y'all are weird. You know, we'd run off in seventh grade, we were still doing the same thing, and in seventh grade, I finally had the, the nerve to be like, I kinda like this girl. So I, I tell another mutual friend of ours, Clinton White, I said, I'm gonna marry Jackie Zuppo. This was in seventh grade, and my friend was like, whatever, man. I was like, no, for real, I'm gonna marry that girl. And uh, he's like, well, you ought to tell her. <laughs> 
So, you know, like in seventh grade, I've kind of, you know, share my love for Jackie. And uh, she goes, as she was looking down at me, she said, you're too short. And uh, I was pretty confident. I was like, what if I grow? <laughs> you know? And she's like, well, because we kind of become friends. And she said, we'll talk about that if and when you grow. So in ninth grade, I feel like oh, I've grown like two or three inches here. So uh, we were still friends. And I tell her again, like, hey, I'd like to take you out on a date. Now, some more context to this. In ninth grade, I was 16 years old, probably because I threw that brick up in the air in first grade and it came down on my head. Uh, so I did first grade twice. And uh, so I was 16 in the ninth grade, four foot 11, 99 pounds. So you got to remember that too. I'm driving my dad's full size pickup, opening the door like this, <laughs> you know. So I asked Jackie if she'd like to go out on a date. And again, she said, no, you're too short. But if you grow, maybe. And again, I was like, I mean, surely I'm going to grow, drink milk, do, you know, something. Um, and we, we continued to be friends. And at youth camp, right after 10th grade, so the, the summer between 10th and 11th grade, at youth camp, again, I declared my love for Jackie Zupo. And uh, we had our first date after we got back from camp. And we've been together ever since. That was 1992. And uh, so we've known each other since first grade. I've been head over heels in love since the fifth grade. And I'm just going to add one little detail. I knew she would. I said she'll correct. So it's not like he waited in between. Like he declares his love, but then if I say no, we I was declaring my love to other people as well. Yes. So <laughs> it's not like we were I was keeping waiting. my options open. Yes, yes. I mean, what if I wouldn't have grown? I mean, I didn't grow a whole lot. So, um, so we have our first date. June the 24th, 1992, uh, we get married <clears throat> July 27th, 1996, so we dated for four and a half years, uh, or four years and one month, and um, we had surrendered to ministry during that time. We were interning at the church where we served with James at, working in the student ministry there, and um, that's kind of where the journey began, and uh, the Lord took us all over the place in our youth ministry uh, days. Uh, we left uh, First Baptist Church Springdale and went to First Baptist Church Anderson, Missouri. Uh, from there to Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. From there to First Baptist Colleyville, Texas. From there to First Baptist Church Orlando, Florida. Until nine and a half years ago, the Lord opened up an opportunity for us to go back to First Baptist Church Springdale, which is now Cross Church, um, where we've been at for the last nine and a half years. And uh, the Lord's taught us so much during that time and I'm gonna let Jackie talk about that but um, in 1996 we get married we're 21 years old and uh, knew that we loved God loved each other loved teenagers and really just wanted to see God do something that could not be explained outside of him and we we lived that way and two years after we uh, were married um, we yeah two years three years we find ourselves pregnant with our son Alex uh, who is a freshman at the University of Arkansas right now. Two years uh, after Alex is born, we lose our first baby to an eptopic pregnancy where Jackie almost uh, bled to death because we were just young and didn't know anything. And she didn't know she was pregnant. And we were doing a Bible study at our house on a Sunday night with a bunch of teenagers. And I find her curled up in the bathroom floor. Of course, we're just young and ignorant. And I mean, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, just stay right here. Everything will be fine. <laughs> I go and like finish the Bible study. And then uh, instead of going to the hospital, we call the hospital. Yeah, we, we call the hospital. And then the next morning, finally, we were like, something's not right. And we went and realized we were, she was experiencing a tubal pregnancy. Um, had to have surgery. A couple years later, had another uh miscarriage another tubal pregnancy and was like you know what we're we're done trying to build our family so I'll let you take it from there yeah really we were done losing babies there's a big difference um and so you know we've been married for 22 years we've really only been happily married like 10 years if we're honest and none of those were consecutive so you know just so that you know kind of our journey we did start young. Yeah, I've been keep, happy the whole time yeah and so he's in denial, and you heard he's a really kind of struggles with emotions anyway, leaving your wife on the bathroom floor. So he's in denial and thinks that everything was always good, but it was not. Um, and so 
Um, so we had, we were done having babies. We were, you know, when you walk through that, I don't know if any of y'all have, it's just hard. And so um, we were about to move to Orlando, Florida, and um, our oldest or our only child at the time, Alex Harmon, is seven years old, and we were just like, we're done, like, we're fine with just being the family of three. We're just the three of us, and we were going to a place where we were going to be doing ministry, like, uh, you know, full force, 100%, like, crazy hours, and so Alex was wired for that, and so we were all good to go. Well, about a year into us living there, um, God started opening our eyes to the orphan crisis in the world, and we, you know, your hearts kind of um, go out to that, but so we were like, well, we'll definitely support others, and we will, you know, give, we'll get another compassion child, and we'll help friends adopt, but um, we're not giving our hearts to that or our lives to that, and so I can tell you now that I was just struggling with trusting God. I didn't trust him with that part of my life. Like, that, to trust him with my family was super painful, and so I can tell you that now at the time, we just do the Christian thing, which is we'll pray about it. It's the Christian no. Like, we'll pray about it. We'll think about it. We'll give more. We'll help this. Um, but really, the whole time, you're just saying no to God. And so, um, so God, this is how he kind of does with us because we're a little stubborn. He had given us a desire to move into the projects in Orlando. So we're, we're getting ready to sell everything and move into this housing projects and minister to the low-income families and um, we're looking for a home there, can't find it, can't find it. About four months into that, we're really frustrated. And God very clearly says, you know, I've asked you just to give your heart to one. You're willing to sell everything and give your lives to many. It's not really what I'm even asking of you. And so that began our adoption process of a child that we didn't really want. And so that sounds horrible, but that's just the reality. And so we said yes out of a desire to be obedient because we really wanted to be obedient to whatever God had for us, even if it, our hearts weren't in it. We were trusting that God was going to get us there. And so an 18-month process, um, God has a way of planting a seed in your heart and growing it and growing it until it's to the point of you didn't know that you wanted this so bad. And he's just really faithful to do that. So um, nine years ago today, actually, we were in Ethiopia picking up our little boy, and our lives have never been the same, but not in a good way. Um, sometimes we're deceived into thinking that being obedient means that your life is good or that everything gets easier or that now things are, are you know, perfect. Um, but our lives got really, really, really hard. Um, our little miles... Um, came with us with a slew of special needs that we had no idea. In fact, we checked no on special needs. So you can imagine at this time, we're really a little bit struggling with, this is what obedience, this is how you bless your people, this is what obedience looks like. And so um, we, this journey for the next three years of us having him home was probably the worst of our lives, I would say. Um, and so He's, he was very violent. He's, a, he's low functioning autistic. He has a moderate intellectual disability and then a lot of other things that have little letters after him that most people don't understand. Um, and so he was extremely violent. So for the next three years, I am trying to love a child that I don't even like, which is really difficult. And I'm trying to love and build trust with a child that I'm scared to death of, which is very difficult. And so, um, so I find myself, a minister's wife, questioning every single thing I've ever thought about God. My faith crumbled, and we can articulate now why, but at the time, you're just struggling. And I don't know if you've ever been in a really bad place or a really dark place or if you've just struggled with anything serious like that, but you don't realize sometimes how dark of a place you're in until you start climbing out. And then you realize, wow, that was really bad and scary. And so I find myself really struggling because the only way out of this is suicide. Like, this is the rest of my life, and God knew the whole time. He called us to it. He chased us. He, he came after us, asked us to do this, and this is the rest of our lives. And the Bible says that God is good. Like, what, I don't know what to do with some of this stuff. And so... Um, so I find myself um, suicidal with a plan, and um, the Holy Spirit intervened in a situation that was really not good, and I jumped into counseling, 
you, you know, the word of God does not return void, and the Holy Spirit pulls those things up in your heart, even if you don't even know that they're there. And so I jump into counseling, and I was super brave to check the box at the very end of the application where you're just like, yes, I've contemplated suicide, like hoping that she won't see it. Um, and, of course, she does, and so we have to have this discussion. And she asked me, do I, have I ever, who's my safe person? And I said, oh, I've never told anybody. Like, it's the most shameful thing in my life. Like, why would I spread that or tell anybody that? And so she tells me I have to tell my husband um, before the day's over. And I'm like, he's so nice. Like, he's going to be so upset and sad, and he's going to, like, he's not going to know what to do with this. And so, um, but she makes me promise her. So I tell her that night, and we'll tell part of that story probably later. It's probably not the time, you think. No, go ahead. I think maybe not. Um, <laughs> I think when we talk about communication stuff, that will probably oh, be Oh, that'll be a wonderful time. <laughs> <laughs> or lack, yep. lack, lack yep. thereof communication. But, so just to kind of speed, this is not a, a marriage conference about Keith and Jackie Harmon, but we want you to have some context because we, um, in learning how to fight for our lives, literally, and realizing that this is going to fall apart if we don't, if we're not proactive and do something about it, um, we ended up. We learned how to fight for our marriage, and God was so gracious to me. But we took very active steps as far as counseling for us because we still liked each other. Um, counseling for me because I needed someone to speak some truth into my into my head and my heart, places that the enemy had taken over. Um, but I jumped into a chronological Bible study that was no, it was just God's word. And it was literally like questions that made you look in this word. And it wasn't someone else's opinion about this word. It wasn't their experience with this word. It was literally just this word. And with this word, God literally put me back together piece by piece by piece. He breathed life into me where I was like literally thought this is, this is, it's over and so through, through understanding the character of God and learning, I started in Genesis 1-1 and start going through scripture. And when I would see a characteristic of God, I would write it down. And so then I'm writing down, like, you make plants before you make a way to feed them or water them? Like, you're crazy. Like, but what it taught me was God doesn't plant something without fully intending for it to grow and giving it the nutrients it needs. And so when you learn the character of God, you realize my circumstances don't change who God is. God is good even when my life is falling apart. And so learning the true character of the God of the Bible, which is very different than most of us believe about God, the God that we believe in, is not always the God of the Bible. And that's really dangerous. And so having to walk through that and really have a firm foundation for my life to stand on when life falls apart and understanding um, what suffering and what pain and what struggles actually the place that they, that they take in the Christian life and the importance that they have in our lives, it literally is, is how it shaped what we do for the rest of our lives. Yeah, our, our women's minister at our church at the time, when Jack, Jackie jumped into that chronological Bible study, um, the women's minister at the time at our church was also my girls' minister in the youth group. So her name is Gina Fransky. Gina was over sixth grade girls through senior adult ladies and everything in between. So Gina and I, are, you know, we're all down there in the youth building with the rest of the youth staff. And she's like, Keith, you need to do this Bible study while Jackie's doing it. You don't have to do it with her, but be doing it at the same time because Jackie's going to want to talk about it. And Jackie was talking about it. I mean, like every day Jackie's like, I was reading in Genesis chapter 1 and this, and I was reading in Genesis chapter 7 and this. And, I was, and I was, she's like, have you ever heard of this? And I was like, yeah, I took a class in seminary called Genesis. Uh, you know, preacher, that's the preacher answer. Of course I've heard of this. And I'm like, um, why didn't you tell me this? Yeah, so like, then why I'm in I trouble for not, for not telling. So she comes into my office and she's like, can I have all of these books? And we were telling James today, like she stole all of my commentaries, all of my Bible studies. I mean, all of the resources that I have, they're now at the, the house in her office. That's where they've been for the last uh, six years. But I, but I want to frame that for some of you. You know, I'm a minister's wife who always struggled to read the Bible. I don't know if anyone you can relate. Like, you don't sometimes know what to do. You open it up, and there's some kind of war going on, and it seems to never stop, and you don't know who all these people are. And you don't, if you don't understand the story of the Bible from start to finish, 
then it's hard to understand what's going on. And so I would, you know, I would start, you know, January 1, reading through the Bible, January 6th, oh no, I'm a failure. Four days um, behind. And so, like, you try to catch up because that's what you do is you need to catch you up. And so then through the chronological Bible, God showed me the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of reading the Bible. It's not to mark, a, check a box. It's not to get something in, but there's a purpose in it. And if you look in, in um, Exodus and you read about the Israelites, and you, they'll frustrate you, but then you realize, oh, they're me. I'm just like them. Um, but every morning, God would pour out manna for them, every morning. And they had to go get out of your tent and gather Every day, there's, there's a verse that 13 times he says, gather, 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 gather. Um, you have to get out of your tent and gather the manna if you want it to, to feed you. And so um, every morning, God lays out grace and mercy for us every day to make it through that day. But you have to get up and go gather it yourself. Um, it's not going to come to you. And so it, guess what? If you forget or don't have time today or you just want to sleep in, the man is going to be there tomorrow, in the next day, in the next day. And so that was a huge, like, every day you do this to me. And so, like, by the time, if I'm in the afternoon going, what, what in the world is going on? And I didn't spend time in God's word. I can almost just hear him. You were not going to believe how I was going to get you through this. I had the perfect verse for you to, to meditate on and to speak life into you. And this was going to do this, but, but you didn't gather it. But guess what? I still got you. And so learning, walking through that and learning how powerful his word is. But it's also not just to sit there and just gather. You're supposed to gather it so you can pour it back out. It's this, it's this inhale and exhale of your life. Um, you hold your breath too long and you die. So you have to inhale and exhale his word. But, but Jesus himself is the word. And, you know, you have God who breathes life into man in his, in his word is the breath of God. It breathes life into you. And so um, as you take it in, it also washes you, um, your, your mind. You'll hear words like you need to um, take every thought captive. I don't know if you have a mind sometimes that gets away from you, but the word literally washes your mind fresh and new every single day. Yeah, so we're... we're reading the Bible chronologically at the same time. We're having these deep conversations for the first time in our lives, first time in our married lives. And all of this is really coming alive for Jackie and in Jackie. And because of that, God is doing something fresh in me. Because that's exciting when you see that happening in your spouse. Even with just a friend, when you start to see a friend or a parent that gets saved and, and the word starts to mean something to them for the very first time in their lives, how that is like being at a pep rally for you spiritually and uh, things that you have forgotten about become alive in you again. And so Jackie and I are having these conversations and the three things that God showed both of us in that year, um, because both of us were writing down, every time we would see a characteristic of God, we would write that characteristic down. So we're, you know, filling up this notebook of, of who God is and how he works and what the Bible is. The Bible is not a, a book about Keith and Jackie. The Bible is a book about God and how God has interacted with humanity and continues to interact with humanity. And it's really all about him, and it's all for him, and it's for his glory. But the three things that really jumped out at us for that year was, one, she's already mentioned that God is good all of the time. Like, that never changes. The character of God, the goodness of God never changes. What we realize, though, is our lives change. And sometimes things are really good, and sometimes things are really bad. And no matter what our circumstances were, God was still good. And there were times where our circumstances were pretty bad. And I'm sure in a room like this, you all could testify about some times where life wasn't good. Somebody you really cared about died, lost a great job. The bank took the house. The bank took the vehicle. Um, I mean, life happens. And so it was really, really good for us to be reminded that no matter our circumstances, God is good. The other thing that he showed us in that year was that we can trust him. So we have this little boy, Miles, and you'll hear about Miles throughout the entire weekend, who's now today nine years old. Uh, and this is the gotcha day. We did get him on February the 15th, nine years ago. And uh, he, God has changed him in a lot of ways. And we'll brag on him throughout the weekend. But what I want to say is, as a dad, as a husband, and as a man, I'm looking at this little boy 
back then, three years old, um, and thinking through, okay, what's life going to look like when he's six? What's life going to look like when he's 10? What's life going to look like when he's 15 if he never gets potty trained? And let me tell you, that, that's a big deal. Like right now he's nine, and he's a big nine-year-old. So we're still changing diapers of this pretty big nine-year-old. And when I'm on my knees, you know, changing a dirty diaper, and I'm holding those big long legs up of this Ethiopian boy, and I'm, you know, with a wipe that you would typically use on a baby, on this nine-year-old, through my mind is, what's this going to be like when he's 18? What's this going to be like when he's 28? And again, I'm trying to paint a picture for you just to understand that as a husband and as a dad, and I know she's this as a mom and a wife, that can be overwhelming. And so God whispering over and over and over to us again that you can trust me. I'm good. You can trust me. That doesn't mean our circumstances are going to change. We pray that they do, and we hope that they, we hope that he gets potty trained. We pray that he gets potty trained, and we've got people all over the planet praying with us that he gets potty trained. So you all can join us in that. You all can be our prayer warriors uh, from, from this side of the United States praying, Lord Jesus, help that Miles boy get, get potty trained. Just, just throw Keith and Jackie a bone. Help them with that. And, uh, but it was really, really sweet to just be reminded, you can trust me even when you can't trust yourself, even when you can't trust your circumstances, even when you don't know what the future holds, you can trust me. The other thing he, remind, the only, the other thing he did remind us of and, and showed us once again and drove it deep in our hearts is that he is faithful, that he is good, that we can trust him, and that he is faithful. And he is faithful even when we're unfaithful. He is faithful to us. He is faithful to his word. If he says he will do something, he does it. If he says he will not do something, he doesn't do it. Um, I mean, like, you, you think of the armor of God and, you know, the first thing in the armor of God, the belt of truth. Like, he is the belt of truth. I mean, that's mind-blowing. Like, Jackie's already said another thing tonight that's mind-blowing. Like, he is his own breath. Like, Jesus is the word and the word, you know, is God. And the very breath of God is what we're literally holding when we hold this book, the breath of God. And then to think about the things that we read, like the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, that's him. He, he is those things. And so when that stuff comes alive in you, it changes you. Our circumstances have not changed. We still have a little boy from Ethiopia named Miles who is low-functioning, autistic. Like Jackie said, with all kinds of other issues, our circumstances haven't changed, but our hearts have changed and our minds have changed. God has been using this little boy to make us into the mom and the dad and the husband and the wife and the friend and the co-worker and the minister and the Sunday school teacher that he wants us to be. We tell people all of the time, uh, nothing has made us look more like Jesus than Miles. Nothing. There's not even a close second place. So what almost cost Jackie her life now gives us life um, because it drives us back to Jesus every day. Like you want to get out of the tent every morning and gather the manna because you know you can't make it throughout that day without it. So everything else we say this weekend, we share that. And I know that's a long intro, but we share that, number one, so you'll know a little more about us, who we are, what life is like for us. Uh, and hopefully we'll get to know you all as well and, and can know some things we can be praying for you about. But I mean, I'm not kidding when I'm like, Hey, all of you, all 50-something of you, 60-something of you, join us in praying that Miles gets potty trained sooner than later. And, uh, and we'll all rejoice together when that happens. But what's happened through all of that is we, I was telling James and Kara today at lunch, we now put everything through the Word of God. You should always do that. That should always be your filter. But now when we think about marriage, talk about marriage, we, we literally go to the word and find out what does God's word say about marriage. Uh, when we think about parenting, we go to the scripture. What does the word say about parenting? And it doesn't mean that we don't seek godly wisdom and godly counsel from other men and other women in our lives who have walked this path before us or that we trust, that we know, love Jesus and walk with Jesus. But that is a secondary thing that we do. Number one is what does God's word say about it? So we filter everything through that. And we believe everything else that we'll talk about this whole weekend has been sifted through the Word of God, has been filtered through the Word of God. And 
the Lord has given us a view of marriage based on his word, not based on 22 years of being married, not based on 26 years of being together, and not almost our whole lives of knowing each other since the brick incident. Uh, so, Yeah, so we kind of want you guys to understand where we're coming from because we also believe that every relationship needs to start at the have a foundation of God's word is the ultimate authority in our lives. Um, and so all the pre-marriage counseling we do, we talk through this with our couples because you need to, when you are, when life is really, really good and you think that this is going to be perfect the rest of your life and they're like so in love, you can't mm. even talk to them because they're like, we're never going to fight. This is meant to be great forever. Um, and you're like, you just wait. You'll be back here. Well, You'll he be back. Here's how we can tell y'all quickly. This won't take as long, I promise. So last year, in the last 12 months, we've met with 30 couples from Cross Church that we did pre-marriage counseling for. So I did most of those weddings. So like every other weekend, I'm doing a wedding. Like that's become my life is weddings. And they're all head over heels in love, right? I mean, you can imagine. I mean, like every day is going to be the best day ever. And I mean, we're just so head over heels in love. Last year, in the last 12 months, we met with 100 couples since the wedding date. And that was because they were like, we don't even know if we like each other anymore. We don't know if we want to stay married anymore. We don't know if we can do this anymore. So 30, 30 that are like, yeah, man, forever. 100 plus that's like, we don't know if we're going to make it to this weekend. And uh, that's like become our world. Yeah, and we tell our little couples like, we're not, we're going to, we give them an overview of what God's word says about marriage because we know we cannot help you right now understand what this fight is going to look like and what this war is going to look like. So we're just going to tell you what God says so that when you come back to us in three months and you're, like, upset, we can go from there. But, um, but, we, all, but we do tell them, like, you need to establish um, with each other, and we encourage every one of you guys to do this at some point, I would say, before the night is over, before you fall asleep at night that this is your authority in your marriage right here. Um, every decision you make as a couple needs to be sifted through this word. And I'm just going to tell you right now, that's going to take a lot of decisions off the plate. Um, but you make it now while you still kind of like each other, hmm. because when you don't, then this is not going to help you that much if you don't have that as your authority. So, so you need to establish as a couple, we are committing right now, we believe that the God's word is true. He's, he is the Lord. He does not change. Our country is redefining what marriage looks like. Like we're a hot mess as far as marriage is concerned in our country. So let's go to the one place that's never changed and let's establish this is our authority in marriage. And what this says is we'll make the decisions for us when we don't seem to, to agree in this moment. And so that's kind of why we want you guys to understand not only how God's word has changed us, but everything has to be based off of this. Otherwise, we really, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter, honestly. It's always going to change. So we, we find ourselves with 30 couples just last year alone um, preparing for wedding days. And Jackie and I always tell them, one of the first things we tell them is, hey, we're excited about your wedding, um, but we're really way more excited about your marriage. Because the wedding is going to come and go, and the marriage is going to be the bread and butter. That's what, that's what you're going to live in every day. I wish I could tell you that every day of your marriage will be like the wedding day, but it, it won't be. Um, and you're spending all of this money, you're spending all of this time getting ready for this wedding day, this wedding hour, um, and then the big reception after. But we need to be getting ready for the marriage and so Jackie and I spend about five minutes talking to them about the wedding and about 12 hours uh, by the time we get done with the four to six sessions that we meet with them before the wedding, um, talking about the marriage. And what we like to do is start with the end in mind. So what we do, the very first thing we do is we tell them we're going to give them an overview of marriage and Here's what it looks like. And we have them go to Revelations 19. In Revelation 19, it says, The bride has made herself ready for her bridegroom. It's Revelations 19:7. And we ask them, What do you think that means? And they'll start to answer. And then we say it this way, because they usually are like, to be honest, we don't know. And we say, Well, what are you doing right now to get ready for your wedding day? 
And let's just for fun, what are some of the things a person does when they're getting ready for their wedding day? What are you picking out? What are you doing? Dresses. For you, for the bride, and for all the bridesmaids. What else? Cake testing. That's the funnest part, right? Cake testing. You've got to have a really, really good cake for the wedding. What else? Flowers. Got to book the honeymoon. Yeah, yeah. What else? The church, the venue. Yep. Music. Absolutely. And lots of, which one are you going to walk to? What's going to be happening when the doors open and the first step? I mean, all like all that matters, you know. And what, what beat are you walking on the first step, you know? That's important. You're right. What else? Anything else? Are the guys wearing boots? Are they wearing dress shoes? Are they wearing a suit? Are they wearing jeans? Are they, buy, are they renting a tux? Who's paying for the tux? <laughs> all of those things, right? Who's paying for the bridesmaids dresses? Is that on the bridesmaid or is that on... Uh, the bride's mom and dad or the groom's mom and dad. How's all that work? I mean, those are all the details, right? And when you, let me just tell you, when you're sitting with a couple who's engaged, I mean, they can spit it out. They might even get their phones out and start going through their punch list. It's on their hearts. It's on their minds. And we ask the question, are we doing the same thing to prepare for Revelation 19.7? And we've never had a couple yet say yes. All say no. Were you going to read it? Or were you just turning to it? I quoted it. <laughs> um, so whatever, you know, most people will start with the first marriage, which is Adam and Eve. Um, and so we'll get to them, but their marriage went uh, messy really quickly. So we start at the end and work our way backwards so that we can make sense of that because that marriage is actually a, a, a pattern or a shadow of the real marriage. And so there's sometimes in Scripture where you see, you know, like the like eat like the Garden of Eden is a shadow or a or a picture of heaven, and so we want to start with the end and work backwards so that we know why do we even do this. And so, um, so we start in Revelation because the bride is to be making herself ready. We are the bride of Christ, guys and girls. We're the bride of Christ, and every day we are to be preparing, making our lives more like Jesus to make to get ourselves ready for that day. And we even have the couple, like, imagine, like, if you did nothing else from this day forward, what would be missing? What would, would you be disappointed? What would not be booked or ready? And they, I mean, they're, like, stressing oh, yeah, they out. They'll They'll start like, we haven't sweating. got the venue yet. We haven't booked the church. I, will, I don't I, My dress won't be ready. We don't know if we're having cake or cupcakes or right, so, cookies. We, I mean, I mean, they yeah. go into panic mode. We're like, listen, you, well, that's not going to happen. Yeah, we're just asking a question. Invitations wouldn't be out. Yeah. But we need to understand, like, we don't actually know the day that we're going to meet Christ. And so we have to every day be preparing for that wedding. And so that is me and Jesus and Keith and Jesus, it's not us as a couple and meeting him together. So, so my role on this earth is to glorify God and to look more like Jesus in all that I do. And so that kind of makes us wonder, well, like, well, why do we do this? This is a lot of work. If, if, my, if the ultimate goal is me and Jesus, then why do I include him into it? Because, ooh, sometimes he drives me crazy. Yeah, so again, we, we walk them backwards, starting in Revelation. We come to Matthew uh, 22, 3. Uh, th yeah, I've got to put my, my eyes on. James makes fun of me for having to wear glasses now, so I'm ashamed to put them on in front of him. Twenty two thirty. 30. At the time when people rise from death, there will be no marriage. People will not be married to each other. Everyone will be like angels in heaven. So we tell, you know, young couples who are in love getting ready to get married that, hey, by the way, this is just for like the next 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, depending on how young you are when you get married and how long you plan on living. But most of them have never thought about that. Growing up in church their whole lives, they, they don't realize that there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Well, there is. It's you and Jesus. That's the marriage in heaven. But this, what we do is an earthly relationship and that it's not an eternal relationship. The only eternal relationship is the one that we have with Christ. But we, again, that's good news. That's not bad news. That's very, very good news. Yeah, and there was a time in my life I, that would have sort of devastated me. But if that kind of hits your heart a little bit funny, then I want you to just make a note of that because I hope by the end of the weekend you'll realize that maybe you're putting too much trust in this one right here or maybe you're depending on this person for your identity and things that he can never beat or she can never meet so um 
So this is only for this earth. It's a, it's a temporary relationship. Um, it's a forever relationship on this earth, but it's a temporary assignment as far as heaven. Um, the only eternal relationship that you have is you and Jesus. That's it. And so our time on this earth versus eternity, um, we need to be more focused on the one relationship that's going to last forever and ever and ever. And so you need to be obsessed with him. You, you literally need to be living your life to where it looks like your love for him is so much bigger. The gap is so much bigger than your love for your person. And that sounds really weird when you are in love, but it's just because of, of your understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what your walk in your life looks like with him. Yeah, and when you're, when you're saying that to a couple, again, that's engaged and their whole future is in front of them and they're so obsessed with each other, they're head over heels in love again, you know, um, telling them that, you know, that's earthly, it, it's not an eternal relationship, can be devastating. But again, our, our goal is to always tell them the truth. As Christians in a Christian marriage, um, you need to know that it, that one's short-term Revelation 19.7, long-term. And so then we try to get them to start talking through, then why are we even doing this? And then we find ourselves all the way back at the beginning in Genesis where God scoops up some dirt, breathes life into it, and makes man. And not too much time passes, and God says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he opens Adam's side, takes out his bride, Eve, and we see the very first marriage. So that tells us several things, but one of the things that it shows us and teaches us that God was the one who came up with the idea of marriage. That wasn't our idea. It wasn't some um, really smart man or woman's idea to say, you know what, we, we, we probably ought to get married and that way we can share a house together and we can raise kids together and we can help pay bills and, and do all of those things that we do enjoy about marriage. But it was God's idea who, who made man and said, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to give him a helper. I'm going to give him a helpmate. I'm going to give him someone to do life with, um, someone to enjoy. And all kinds of blessings come from that. But I think that, again, like Jackie said, because of how marriage is being redefined in the United States of America, because the way that people are looking at marriage, the way people are talking about marriage, the way people are defining marriage, it's important for all of us to know where the truth is, and that's in the Word of God. And we find it in the book of Genesis. And I'm just going to um, say something about that for a second. You know, I think a lot of times the church is to blame. We haven't portrayed a marriage worth duplicating to the world. Of course they want to re redefine it. We look no different than the rest of the world. And so our, our marriages need to be um, worth duplicating. We, we Literally on our anniversary every year, we sit down and we talk and we ask ourselves that question. Is our marriage a marriage worth duplicating? Um, would we be happy if our boys, if their marriages looked like our marriage today? And if the answer is no, then we need to just figure out what do we need to work on this year so that this question, this, the answers are different next year than they are this year. And so we, we are always looking at ourselves because we know that our children are going to duplicate what we do, whether we like it or not, whether we tell them something different or not. Um, and so in, unless God intervenes and they do the hard work of, of breaking some generational stuff, um, but we want to model that for them to make it easier for them to just do what we do because we want to help you look more like Jesus. And so um, I personally take ownership in the fact that the big C church has not done a really good job at portraying marriage to the world. I, I don't even blame them for trying to, to for trying to redefine it, to figure out what they can figure out to do to make themselves feel loved. And so we have a lot of people who live in different types of marriages that we minister to because we want them to show that we want to show them the love of Jesus so that we can help them to to learn who he is and to get to know him. And then we believe and know that God will do a work in their hearts and lives. Yeah, again, the goal is to always just share the truth with them and let God do what only he can do. Let him show himself to them, show them the truth, because he's where the change happens. Anyway, I mean, think about the beginning of our story six years ago when we find ourselves in the darkest place we've ever been. It wasn't a talk show host that, that put 
Jackie back together and that put us back together. It wasn't a self-help book. It wasn't even a great Christian book that we bought at the Christian bookstore. It was the Word of God. The Word of God is where the truth is. That's where life is. And so we always, always, always just point people to what does the Word say about this. And so, like, we do have family members and we have friends who are living a different life than we're talking about tonight. And even with them, we don't try to sugarcoat it. We don't try to change it. We don't try to lessen the blow, but we also don't try to make the blow bigger. We just say, Here, here's what God's word says. Do with it what you want to do with it. But we always tell them the truth. Um, when we ask couples, why, why are we even doing this then? If it's all about Revelations 19.7, why are we doing this? Very few of them have very many answers, if answers at all. Um, so we usually just fill in the blanks and we say, here's what we think based on the word of God. You, you see things in scripture. Just think about the great commandment. When Jesus is asked, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And without even being asked, he throwed on a second. He said, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we tell people, this is your first neighbor. The person you're married to is your number one neighbor. It's not actually the person who lives in the house next to you or across from you. It's the one that you're sleeping in bed with. That's, that's your number one neighbor. And then your number two and number three and number four, and depending on how many children you have, it's the kids that live in your home. That's your, that's your neighbor. And then anytime the scripture speaks about others doing unto others, your spouse is your number one other. And we just believe that based on the word of God, as we put marriage and family ministry and all that through the lens of the word, that what we see is in scripture, anytime it speaks of others or neighbor, this is your number one, and we believe that all of those relationships are to make us more like Christ, to get us ready for Revelations 19. We believe that us adopting Miles, yes, and we've said it three times, I think, already, and we'll say it again, was us being obedient to a call that God had put on our lives, but now we know the why. The why was so that we could look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday, to look more like Jesus today than we did 10 years ago, um, Jackie put on Facebook about an hour before we came up here to have dinner with you guys tonight. Hey, today is Miles Gotcha Day. She put a picture of him laying on the floor. And uh, she was saying, you know, this day nine years ago is when we got him. And uh, a phrase that we have said to each other throughout the years is, what would we be like if we wouldn't have adopted Miles? And you know what we always say? We would be horrible people. We would be horrible people who think that we're good. Because if you had met us before Miles, we wouldn't have said it. And I don't even know that we really would have thought it. But I just, I think back to the way we were before him. And it was all about what could we have? What could we get? How could we do better? How could we do more? And here's what's so cool about God is he blessed our ministry anyway. He blessed our lives anyway in spite of us um, because he's good. And he loves us more than we love ourselves. And he wants better for us than we want for ourselves. And he wants us to have a better marriage than even we want for ourselves. And he knew we needed a Miles for that to happen. A matter of fact, I think that he knew the only way to break them and to humble them is to humiliate them. And we could tell you stories of Jackie wearing a dress on a Sunday morning at Cross Church Springdale with thousands of people walking in and out, and she is straddling a little boy on the floor, holding him down and trying to keep him from bite, hit, scratch, and punch anybody and everything that walked by. And Jackie just saying to people as they didn't know what to do, just keep walking, just keep walking. And they're like, okay, sorry. Uh, so that's a humiliating circumstance, right? Well, God uses situations like that to humble you. You think we even care anymore what people think about us? We really do because all of us do, but we care a whole lot less. We care what Jesus thinks about us. We care what our friends think about us. I mean, everybody cares, but we really care about what Jesus thinks about us and how he sees us. So we, we try to, everything we do. Well, and I think we'll talk more about this when we do parenting, maybe on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Miles has been a gift. Like, I don't, I, if I'm going to parent him the way I need to parent him, I can't care what people think about me. That is a hard thing to get over. Talk about having your pride crushed. If I care what you think, I can't parent him properly. And so he has to be parented a certain way, but all of our children are that way. 
Um, so you were talking earlier about, you know, when God separated man and woman, um, we believe that the marriage is what man and woman looks looks like when God puts you back together. It's the way he originally designed man or human or mankind um, is you have this separation, but then you have this joining back together because when you get married, you become one flesh. And that's not that one person now gets to be lord over the relationship and I can't have a word in edgewise. Um, it's that our the Holy Spirit in him, the Holy Spirit in me literally mingles together in the spiritual realm. And so our spirits become one. And that's going to be really key in the next session as we talk about how to how do we do life in this spiritual realm when your spirits are literally mingled together um, versus you as two separate individual people. And this is one reason why, you know, the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked. Um, I grew up in a home where mom was a Christian, dad was not. And you could almost feel like the, her spirit does like dying to mingle with someone else, like literally needing to, to, to commune with someone else. And so when you view the Bible through the lens of God is crazy in love with you, then you even read some of those scriptures differently. You don't read them as punitive or, or rules that God was trying to keep you from something, but God was trying to um, help you per, to get the very best that you could get out of certain things. Yeah. We're about to t we'll, we'll go ahead and take a bathroom break and then we'll come back and and i know during this bathroom break y'all need to go and, and sign up for what breakout sessions you want to do tomorrow but when we come back we'll pick up there and you're right I, I did get distracted um the marriage relationship is to make us more like christ those of us that have been church a long time we know there's a, a church word we use called sanctification which is a it's a big word that basically means making us look more like Jesus, becoming more like Christ, becoming the man that he wants us to be, becoming the woman that he wants us to be. And we just believe that the marriage relationship, we really believe all relationships, is part of that sanctification process. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk more about what does that look like and how does that play out in everyday life. So let's take a 10-minute break, go to the restroom, and uh, sign up for those breakout sessions.